When it comes to the topic of gaslighting, how do you know who to trust? What's their story? What is the lens they view things from? What is at the core of the message that they're bringing? Find out these things and more as I introduce myself to you in today's episode. I'm Sarah Morales, and I'm the host of this podcast. But before I get caught up in my storytelling, I wanted to invite you to check out the free self-assessment and guide that is on the homepage of my website. And the link will be in the show notes. So today's show is going to be a little bit different because this is a brand new podcast in the podcasting world. And I'm so excited to share the things that I've been learning about for the past decade with you all over the coming weeks as I invite different guests on and we deconstruct different stories that they've um, experienced throughout their lives, maybe with their intimate partner, maybe in their family of origin, but um, we're going to have a great time. And again, like I said, I'm so excited to share with you the things that I have been learning. But again, today's show is going to be a little bit different because I'm introducing myself to you. And what I thought I would be a great thing for you all that are listening. Um, as I was prepping, I was like, you know, what'd be really great is if I brought on somebody who I knew could be y'all's proxy, right? Because how many times are you listening to a podcast and you're like, but wait, I have a question. <laughs> I, I want to know more about that story that they just said, or what do they mean by that or any of those kinds of things. And so I thought, you know, as I'm sharing my story, I would bring somebody on to do that for you. So I have invited my good friend Annie on, and I can't think of a better person to stand in the gap and to be your voice today. So thank you so much, Annie, for being on today and being willing to ask questions on behalf of the listeners. I feel super honored to be here, and I hope that I can um, represent everyone who is also going to be honored to hear and witness your story and to also benefit from all of the hard work you've done over the past 10 years, hopefully in the way that I have, because you've definitely changed my life. Well, awesome. Thank you, Annie. All right. Well, um, normally what we'll be doing as we do these deconstructing gaslighting podcasting episodes is I'm going to start with a word of the day. And typically what that's going to be is whenever my guest comes on and shares a story I'm going to pull out something that I think is one of the main points, and I'm going to introduce a kind of gaslighting word, right? So that's part of my specialty is I've spent 10 years deconstructing gaslighting, all the different moving parts. And in, ne in the next episode, I'll actually be going through some of that with you all to help you understand what I'm going to be doing here. But for today, I wanted to start simply by sharing my definition of gaslighting. So I started this by saying, who do you trust, right? Like <laughs> on social media, if you follow the hashtag gaslighting, you're probably going to find even on just like one given day, like 20 different definitions of gaslighting. So how do you even know which definition of gaslighting to go by and why, right? Who are these people that are putting out these definitions? So uh, the definition that I use with my clients has come from the years that I've spent working on this for myself and with my clients. And most importantly, or notably, is when I first started coaching and working on the topic of gaslighting, I kind of used the old standby definition and people would write in and would ask me questions and say, so I'm not experiencing half of what is being said here. Does that mean I'm still being gaslit? Because they actually thought they weren't. And so that forced me to kind of rethink what actually is gaslighting in such a way 
that people can easily identify whether or not it's happening to them. So my definition of gaslighting is when one person, can also be a group of people, through covert behaviors, convinces another person that what they think, feel, believe, or perceive is inaccurate or invalid. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time today dissecting that or deconstructing that. I have a whole workshop <laughs> that I do about that. That is free. I invite you to check that out on my website too. But um, you know, for today's purpose, right? Like we're talking about gaslighting. That's what this podcast is about. So let's start by me sharing my definition. So Annie, did you have any questions about that or anything you want to interject about my definition before we get into my story today? I think maybe the one little piece that I know helped me connect the dots is where the the term actually came from. Is that something you Sure, you mean like the movie? Yes. Okay. Because when people ask me about gaslighting because now I love to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, they always think it's uh throwing fuel on the fire. Like it's just like continuing a fight, right? That's what mm. gaslight sounds okay. like. So I think maybe referencing sure. that might be helpful. Sure, sure. So again, um, I'll I impact this a little bit more in my um in my workshop. But for today's purposes, um, if you have not ever seen the movie or know where the term originate from originates from, it's from a movie called Gaslight that I believe was in 1944 or 45, starred Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. And it's basically the telling of a story with this man who has um a a plan and a purpose and an intention to covertly cause the woman to lose connection to herself in such a way that by the end of the movie, she literally thinks she's going crazy and is going to need to go into an, a, an asylum or something like that. And the kinds of behaviors that he does throughout the movie for a long time epitomized what we understood gaslighting to be. And there was a key scene in the movie that happened throughout the movie um, that when there was some sneaking around happening and the the lights that were powered by gas were affected, they would be dimmed. And so um, the woman saw it, nobody else saw it. And that was one of the key parts where it kept making her feel like she was going crazy because she's like, why am I seeing this and nobody else isn't? So um, is that, do you, how do you think that is? Good enough? No, that was great. Um, I think the key piece is he knew that the the lights were changing. And when she said, I noticed the lights changing, he's like, mm -hmm. no, they're not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because she trusted him, she got to the point of, oh, well, they must not be. I must be crazy. Yeah. So one of the things I'm passionate about as I'm getting into telling my story today is really helping people actually move away from that Charles Boyer character because he's not relatable to most of us, um, at least especially not when we're still in the place where we're confused about what gaslighting is, right? Like sometimes by after years of studying or unpacking our lives or whatever, we're like, holy crap, I was married to somebody like, or whatever. But especially initially there, we don't see the behaviors. And so what I thought I would do, um, you know, to, to kind of help introduce how I became this gaslighting specialist is by sharing my story. And I actually wanted to go back to kind of the beginning of my relationship with my, my ex. Um, and I would say that it started all the way back when we were just friends. I think one moment, I think yeah. you wanted to say trigger warning. Oh yes. Before we Thank started. You. <laughs> sure. Thank you. And he's got my back y'all. Um, so trigger warning, right? So 
Um, my story has a lot of um <laughs> potentially triggering things in it. Um, you know, I <laughs> for a lot of people, when they first hear my story, they're like, shit. Well, first of all, I swear. So second of all, um, you know, between the things that my ex did that were potentially addiction, potentially predatorial, the different things like that, um, there can be triggering things. So if at any point in time, you know, you're feeling triggered, um, please feel free to pause, come back later, do some breathing, some grounding exercises. I'm not going to be, um, uh, what's the word? I'm not going to like give unnecessary details. That's not my thing. It's just by the simple stating of the different things that might've happened may be triggering. So please take care of yourself. Um, and then of course the swearing, because you know, sometimes you just got to swear. <laughs> so, um, so going, thank you, Annie. So going back to when we were just friends. So I met my ex when we were both missionaries at an organization called Youth with a Mission or YWAM. And um, I was very young. I was 19 uh, when we first met. And um, <laughs> good little, you know, perfect, not well, not perfect, but, you know, very naive, very followed all the rules, little Midwestern Christian girl. And um <laughs> like didn't really date in high school, you know, cause I was trying to be the good girl and, um, also sports and also school and all the things. So, um, when I met my ex, he's four years older than me and he was kind of a big deal in that world. Um, people knew him like he had been on staff before and then left and then came back and everybody was like, Oh, like he's back and this is so great. And, you know, and, um, and he really was like all the girls, all the single girls loved him. Like, seriously, he was the bachelor, <laughs> like in our little community of a few hundred people. Um, and you know, he was very charismatic. He was by most people's accounts, attractive. Um, you know, he was gifted musically, um, and vocally as well. So he was one of the worship leaders, um, there. And then, um, yeah, so he, you know, he had this persona, right. Where it was just like any girl would be lucky and count their lucky stars. And here I was a very insecure, um, very young, very impressionable girl. And, um, you know, I remember observing him. I never ever thought that, his attention would turn my way. I remember especially like we had some um, like almost kind of like foreign exchange kind of experience where we had these women from Brazil come and he dated one of them for a while. And like all the single guys like were totally in love with her. Um, and so I'm like, there's no way he's going to like, like me, but I still observed him. Right. And a few of the things that I observed about him um, was I remember one time, so this, I'm, I'm dating myself, but we, we all as the single people went to go see Braveheart in the movie theater. And my ex liked to wear baseball hats. And there is a sex scene in Braveheart, for those of you who haven't seen it. It's not super gratuitous or anything like that, but there's a little bit of kind of nudity in it. And um, I remember like seeing him and now. It's like, then I have my impression of what I thought then. <laughs> and I have my impression of what I think 
it is now. Yes. This like super dramatic like thing where he like pulled his baseball cap down over his eyes, like to make a show of how he wasn't watching the nudity. Right. Um, side note, I now know not only was he already like using pornography, he had already done a number of different things um at this point in his life. So um so it was a show, right? It was I so aware exactly that you were watching and that your heart was gonna be like, oh my gosh, he just did that. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, so you know, it, it was this kind of image that he was um putting out for everybody to see that I am a man of integrity, I am above reproach. Um, you know, I'm basically God's gift, right? Um, so Fast forward, <laughs> you know, I was doing some math earlier and we were married in the summer. And if we had stayed married, we would have been celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary next summer. Um, so, you know, and we were married 19 years before I actually divorced his ass. So I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, um, but I'm trying to pick up some highlights that I feel like people will relate to, right? Like I, I want my listeners to know and to understand you're not alone. Like that's one of my passions for this podcast is for people to find a community where it's like, oh my gosh, she went through that too. Or, oh my gosh, they, they that was right. So um, the only other thing I want to point out between now and fast forwarding to um, our very, very brief, fast and intense courtship. So again, because we were in this missionary world, um, people would basically start planning your weddings the moment you said you liked each other. So we went from friends to being engaged in a month and 15 days, and we were married less than six months later. And um, in my very brief courtship, he had um, left the the missions organization and was a youth pastor in Northern California. And um, I came to visit and was was staying with the senior pastor. And there were some stories floating around about, and I don't remember trauma brain. I don't remember exactly what had happened, but there was, there was something sketchy about one of the, one of the teenage girls that was in the youth group. And, um, and I remember questioning him about it and he basically, yeah. Sorry. When you say there was something sketchy, Mm -hmm. there was a story going around where she had, she had said that something happened. I think so. Okay. Yeah, that's what my gut is saying. I can't remember the details, but like like something inappropriate had had transpired <laughs> between her and my ex. And um he basically threw her under the bus or kind of framed her as somebody who was just slandering him for no reason. Like, okay, aka the victim, right? That's one of the roles I, t- I teach when I teach on my gaslighting stuff, right? Is as I never do anything wrong. It's always about other people. And the things that they say about me. And again, because he had done such a good job in the entire community, um, everybody believed him instead of this girl, right? Because he had put himself as a person that was above reproach. So she's a slanderer. She's inconsistent. She's loose or whatever you want to say. And so, you know, she's just making shit up. There's no credit to what she is saying. And again, I can't remember the details, but, um, but yeah, so there were red flags, but again, young, I mean, I was married when I was barely 22, 
um, very naive. I had not really experienced a lot of the world. And he was prolific at not just gaslighting me, but an entire community. Right. So, um, so that was kind of our friendship and courting. Right. So, um, then we move on to our early marriage. So we floated around from a number of, a number of different youth groups. He was the youth pastor and, um, it was pretty much more the same, right? Like everybody fucking loved him. (laughs) I mean, seriously, um, everywhere, everywhere we went, it was like, you know, (laughs) favor or whatever word you want to use, depending on your belief system, right? Like, um, just advancing, right? Like to where he was in leadership, not just in our church, but in the whole section of California that we're in and then the whole state and all of these things. And, you know, um, just dynamic speaker, all of so these. You, yeah. Did you feel like he was different behind closed doors? Were you already seeing that where in public it was one and at home it was different? No. We've never talked about that. It was, no. it was all consistent. Yeah. And I mean, it, to the point where it was like, I, I really very quickly went, um, you know, before I was with him, I was very happy being single. Like I was traveling the world, right. I was learning music. <laughs> I wasn't necessarily trying to look for a partner. Like I, I was attracted to him. I had feelings for him, but, um, I, w- I was young and I had plans I th- and I was very independent and, you know, all of the different things. And, um, you know, I very, very quickly, um, sorry, also considered myself very intelligent, <laughs> but very, very quickly started to feel less than, um, in pretty much every way, right? Like he was this again, and and again, it wasn't just because of my experience, but because of the reinforcement I got from the community of how great and how amazing he is and how lucky I was to be his wife and all of these kinds of things, right? And what that did to my self-confidence, right? When, when we would start to argue or different things like that, which basically argue is anytime I kind of voiced my displeasure or wanted, you know, something different than what he wanted was basically argue. Right. So, um, that would turn into how come he was right. Right. And so he was older, he was, you know, all of the things was the reasons why he was right. And I should kind of listen to him. And on the, the, the chance that I kind of did get my way, it was with resentment or withdrawal. Like he would go and he would, I don't know that he would lock himself, but he would go and he would basically mope in the bedroom and like totally disconnect from me. 100%. Yeah. So you basically stop voicing your needs or even your opinion because you know what's going to happen afterward. And then it causes you emotional pain too, to have to go through that. A little bit. I, I mean, I know there are, there are definitely, um, I would say that happened later. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened for us, the dynamic was I was too much of a fighter. Um, you know, my mom, my mom says I was like born a fighter <laughs> because like there were all kinds of things where I probably shouldn't have been born and, and all of these things. So like I have this fighter in me and I'm a Taurus, right? So um, you know, I, I was a little bit too much of a fighter for that for, for quite a while. And so um the dynamic meant that because he could stay calm and collected and I was a fighter, I was the angry one. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he would poke the bear. Right. 
I think a lot of, pretty much everybody knows what that saying, right? Yeah. And so, um, and again, it was just exasperating, right? Because I would be getting passionate and emotional and angry because I wasn't being listened to. I, I joke around and I say, I'm so good at my analogies is because of that, right? Like I would try like all, you. yeah, I would try all the different ways to try to be heard. It was me begging to be heard. Please see me. Please know like what you're saying about me. These things that you're saying is not how I, it's not what I'm trying to say. It's not what I'm feeling. It's not what I'm doing. And it was always, you know. That almost makes me think of the um, Gabby Pepito case. Mm. The video that they showed where like, because she was reactive and he mm. was just calm, cool and collected. Yeah. And like that over time. Yeah. So that was more for, for many, I would say probably for the better part of the the first decade of our marriage. Right. And then there was this um, situation that happened um, when my oldest was probably two or probably two. Um, and I won't go into detail, but <laughs> um, he had convinced we had moved back to Wisconsin where my family is from. And he had convinced the pastors there and, and a number of people in the church that I had an anger problem. Um, and so um, I felt very alone, very isolated other than my parents who I love my, my parents. I have the best parents in the world. Um, but so he told me I, um, he didn't think I was safe and that I had to go. So I moved out of the house and I went and I lived in my parents' basement. I think for, I think it was like for two weeks. It was so just a stupid show, right? Because anybody who's serious about that doesn't let their person back. And well, I shouldn't say anybody. It's very, you know, qualifying. But um, anyways, the point is like at that point, what changed was me, right? It's like, okay, so if I have a problem, then I need to get quote unquote control of my anger. Like I remember calling like all of his family and apologizing for my anger issues and like <laughs> all of these things, because at this point it wasn't just in our house anymore. It had spread to him convincing people in our community that I had this problem. And so I was like, well, I have to figure out a way to not get angry. And that's where that dynamic that you're talking about. And, and again, this is part of what we teach right? When we go through the effects and how the stages of a gaslighting relationship, how as it compounds, you start to lose your voice because you're desperate to have peace. You're, or in my case, I was desperate to not be told I was angry all the damn time. And so I was like, well, I guess if I don't care about what I want and don't fight for it anymore, then I won't be angry. So, um, so that was kind of the emotional cycles that ha were happening in our relationship throughout the course of our marriage and how that progressed. So the last thing I thought, you know, because what I'm trying to do and part of telling my story is paint a picture of other than these, you know, kind of really super overt gaslighting images that we have of like the Charles Boyer character. What are some of the more almost nefarious ways that people might gaslight us? Um, and so one of them was something that my ex did quite a lot. He was a youth pastor for a long time and he would kind of use me, if you will, as an example, right? So, so I was always the super supportive wife. Like I helped lead the worship and I mentored girls in the youth group and all of these things. And so I was there every week and whenever it came to probably the month of February, <laughs> probably 
probably, you know, because they're talking about love and sex and all the things, you know, he would tell this story without fail every time where he would say, you know, if, if I were out at a restaurant with my wife and, and she gets up and goes to the bathroom and this woman comes by and he makes this dramatic story about it and basically propositions him to go upstairs and like sleep with them. Basically, he's like, I would tell her basically to to go away because I love my wife. Right. And that was like his story. It was is probably told better. What a white knight for hitting that oh, bare yeah. minimum expectation for relationship <laughs> that you don't go with the other woman. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but right, but for me in the moment, right, like that's that's what we say now, right? Because we understand how the like us, especially for those of you out there that are women <laughs> that are listening, you know, we have been conditioned as women to have our bars really low. We talk about this a lot in my group program, right? We're like, it's like limbo. How low can you go? And I remember one time, Annie, you were talking about, you know, working on becoming more and more flexible so you could you could be better at going lower and lower instead of saying, wait, 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 wait. Like, that's a really low bar. But in the moment, like, he was talking about me in front of hundreds of people. And if it's, it felt special. I, I mean, I think right? also when he probably wasn't making you feel special very often, a mm. moment like that would feel very impactful. I, I remember moments where my ex said really kind things because they were so rare. Mm-hmm. Like that moment probably did feel that way. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't now, right? I felt used to, now my, you know, you can hear my eye rolls. Like, <laughs> story, right. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like right now I, I, I see how it was, he used me in that situation to propagate this, this facade of who he was because he was not faithful to me a day of our marriage. Right. Like, I don't think he necessarily quote unquote acted out every single day, but that doesn't matter because there was never honesty. There was never full commitment. All of these things. He was not a man of integrity. And so it was him using me in that situation to make him look as if he was, as if he was above reproach in this area and he was anything but. Right. So, so that's why, right. Like, who, again, people normally might not think of that as a gaslighting experience, but it absolutely was, right? So I'm going to fast forward a few more years. And um, we kind of already talked about some of the things where I felt like everything was all my fault. Um, now, you know, as I was getting more and more angry, <laughs> it was usually because Whenever I didn't agree with him and the things that he wanted to do, things were always my fault. I either expected too much, like I remember at different times asking him to help me with things around the house, right? And um, I didn't start working until my oldest was four and a half and my youngest was one. Um, and so, you know, like I remember asking for help and I wanted too much because he was working full time and all of these are, or I had anger issues or different things like that. Right. And so I was the reason that he was closed off. So, you know, when I'm sitting there thinking I was miserable and I felt lonely in my own marriage, I was the reason for that. Because if I was a better wife, he wouldn't be closed off. 
he wouldn't be shut down. Right. Um, and again, by this point in our marriage, I had been worn down. Right. So I, I didn't have as much fight to say, well, wait a second. What about what, you know, what are you doing to help make repair or any of those? Right. Like I was like, okay. Yeah. And when, when he said you should be able to do it all, like when he would justify it with working in the other things, did you, did you feel like you accepted that? Like, well, I should be able to do it all. Maybe I'm the one in the wrong. If that's what he's saying that way. Oh, absolutely. I I think there were years of my life (laughs) until pretty close to, to what we call our D day where um, I would go into a conversation wanting to express a need or wanting to express that something was not okay with me and, and leaving the conversation, usually a few hours later, feeling like I was the reason things were bad. It was all my fault every time. Yep. Every time. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of breaking point, I remember um, I tell this story in a number of different places where I we, we lived fairly close to a grocery store and I just got in my car and drove like the two blocks to the grocery store and just parked in the parking lot. And just bawled. And I I called my mom and I was like, mom, what is going on? I feel like I am losing my mind. Like I could not understand how it kept happening. Like I was trying. I was trying to not let that same pattern happen, right? Like, and and it's it's why I do this deconstructing is because gaslighting is a pattern. And if we can recognize the pattern, then we can be like, okay, now I understand why this is happening and I can can stop it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't know any of that. So I couldn't, I was powerless against the patterns. And so it kept happening. And I just, I, I felt like I was going crazy. So I think the important thing, and this is where, um, you know, uh, people who are either have experienced something like this or are fairly intuitive will get this. So um, trigger warning with this next one. The biggest red flag that started to happen at this point in our marriage is when my nephew started to live with us. So um, he started to live with us when he was about 10. And um, he didn't really have a father figure ever in his life, um, but he did have a mom. And there's a long story behind why he was in our life and we started raising him. But um, I really had some objections to some of the dynamic that I was seeing between my ex and my nephew. And um, my ex convinced me that it was just me. It was all in my head that I was feeling jealous because he already had a mom, but he didn't already have a dad. And so they were connecting like dad and son, and I was just still the aunt. And so it was my fault that I felt the things that I felt. I was insecure. I was jealous. Did um, you accept that at the time? Or were you like, I no, did. this is- Oh, no, absolutely. I did. Right. That's the whole point of gaslighting. Right. Right. Is you're not gaslit if you don't accept it. If you're like, that's, that's fucking bullshit. You're a predator. Like, yeah. I wish I would have known that and I would have said that. Right. But, um, but I asked that now because yeah. Sarah, I know now it's sometimes hard to accept that you accepted that and mm-hmm. people who are listening don't know that dynamic yet. So I, it's hard. Like it's well, I'm sorry. Say that again. I, I, people who are listening don't mm-hmm. know that dynamic yet. So I think it's important to see that someone who is as strong and smart and capable as you yeah. under these conditions for so long, will still accept these things. 
Oh, absolutely. Listen, in my 10 years of being a coach, I've had therapists, I've had doctors, I've had, I mean, you name the profession that you'd think they're the smartest people ever and they would never get fooled by somebody. They've been my client, (laughs) right? And I mean, all levels of what the world standards of beauty, like drop dead gorgeous, you could be a model in Paris right now um, to, you know, people like me, average, whatever, right? Like whatever, right? So you know, we can have this kind of thing. And there are so many different dynamics. Why? And that's one of the things we'll unpack in this podcast. I'll I'll be teaching people as we go through it, what are different risks? What are different traps? Um, I won't necessarily be teaching them, but I'll be, I'll be naming them. Um, but anyways, uh, you know, absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was me, right? I did not have a very high opinion of myself at this point in my marriage. I knew I was a good friend. After enduring all of that, though, yeah. like who can withstand that? I'm, it's very I'm- hard. Again, especially when you have somebody who you don't have. For me, I didn't have any tangible thing to point my finger at for reason why I shouldn't trust what he was saying. He was the pastor. He was this. He was that. He was all of the things. And I didn't have any hard proof for any reason to not believe him or to not think that he wasn't full of integrity or any of these types of things other than the way that I felt, right? The fact that I felt miserable, the fact that, in fact, I remember wanting, um, I said I wouldn't get too explicit. I don't think that this is too explicit, but trigger warning just in case. I remember one time I felt so disconnected and so desperate to connect with my ex I literally waited for him naked in the bed, like wanting to connect with him sexually. And and he came to bed and fully ignored me, fully ignored me. So, you know, it's like, and I remember, and then, and then when I finally said something, he, again, it was blaming, well, I'm working and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, it's like, again, like that's a bar that's like on the fucking ground, right? You know, like that's not just a low bar. Exactly. <laughs> so when you were talking about how you felt like something was off, but because your ex was X, Y, Z, so you're feeling that it's off must be wrong is when you really started gaslighting yourself. Mm-hmm. Cause that, that really connected with me when I was in your group coaching, like, oh, wow. Like not only was he doing it, then you start doing it to yourself. And absolutely, that's when you really hit the, I'm confused. Am I going crazy? I don't even know my reality. Yeah. Well, because one of the techniques that I teach about is brainwashing, right? So if you hear something over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it starts to eat away at your own belief that is able to counter it, right? Absolutely. It's chipped away. So, yeah. So um, now I'm going to go ahead and fast forward to what we call our D-Day. So for me, again, I got to give a trigger warning because there's just no way around this. Um, For me, in fact, I've had people ask me many, many times over the past 10 years, are you ever going to write a book? And I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe. But if I ever do, I know what the first line of my book is going to (laughs) be because it's basically how this day started. So, um, you know, I just dropped my kids off, you know, the kind of drive through drop off at, at school. Thank God they were in school already. Didn't even have a bra on, right? Because I was just like in my in my in my like sweatpants and like <laughs> sweatshirt, like because I'm just driving. 
And that's the drop off uniform. for moms. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Right. So, um, dropped them off, got home, was making breakfast. I still remember cause I found it days later, um, was making breakfast and I heard the dog barking, like not normal barking. And so I went to the door and I opened the door and there were FBI agents in my yard. And so I, I kind of said loudly to my ex who is in another room, I'm like, why is the FBI in our yard? And that's how I'll start my book. <laughs> that's a great opening line. to a That book. is a good hook. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, so my, um, my ex, um, got taken away. It was, it's a long story. And, um, I remember once I was doing a podcast with, uh, my friend and colleague, Jenny Rochelle, and we were talking about how I floated through the, uh, <laughs> the room because I was totally dissociated. Like when I recall, it's like, I don't think I walked, I think I floated like an apparition <laughs> throughout the house. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, to That's really how that disassociation feels though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So if you're experiencing that, by the way, listeners, that's what that is. It's called dis- disassociation. And it's what our brain does um, when we're experiencing trauma, when we're experiencing something that is too overwhelming, we are not able to deal with it in the moment. That's what trauma is. And so our brain dissociates and it's a protection mechanism. So that's what I was doing. <laughs> there are so many details that I could go into about this day. Um, but that's not necessarily what this podcast is about. I do want y'all to know my story, and it's not that I'm not an open book. Um, I think the pertinent details so that you understand the point of my story is what I have gone through that has given me the experience to be able to speak to so many different people's lives. Um, and that is that what happened next and how it happened. So my ex got taken away, and I didn't even really still know what was going on. I just knew that they had a search warrant for underage pornography, basically child pornography. And I didn't know for sure where it was coming from, right? At this point in our lives, we had um, done a church plant that didn't pan out. And my ex was um, uh, driving from where we lived to the Bay Area to go to seminary. And I was like, well, it's not him, <laughs> right? Like that's my, that was my, I, my thought, that was my very first thought is, oh crap. It was probably so-and-so who also lived in the house. Right. Um, and so when, when it came Can to you tell the FBI agents too, like, I don't think you know who my husband is. I did. Yes. Cause they, they questioned me, right? Like they, they got us all, all the people that were, it was two different houses. We lived on this multifamily place. Um, they brought us all into the same room and they're like, okay, so this is what's happened. We've taken so-and-so away. And I'm like, wait, oh, actually how it happened is they brought us all into the same room and they were like, now that everybody's here. And I'm like, wait, where's my, where's my husband? Right. Cause it was my husband at that point. Um, and they're like, oh, well we took him away. He, he surrendered himself. I was like, what? I, I was in complete, complete and utter shock. Like nowhere in my brain could that have ever have happened? I had not had a single clue that there was any deviant sexual behavior. None. Right. Um, for a number of reasons why, um, that awareness didn't come till many years later, but, um, but yeah, no, they, they questioned me like as if I would have known what was happening. Like, are you sure you didn't know what was going on on his computer and all? I'm like, no, fuck you. I didn't know. Like what? <laughs> and that's so why I said, I'm like, I think you have the wrong person. Don't you know who my husband is? 
Yeah, because I had believed in the persona that he had projected for everybody. So, that so utterly. That so utterly. With him had also had no idea. Yeah. And nobody did. Mm-hmm. On, uh, other than his victims. <laughs> like nobody, nobody had a clue. Right. Um, so yeah. So, but what happened next? I I would say the next bit of time I quantify is from that day for a year. So he had a year when we were doing it was called um pre-trial whatever, something, something. And uh, I can't remember anymore. I used to know, and I don't really care to try to make make myself remember, but um, it was a year before he started serving his time and before he was sentenced and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, when he was released initially, so he spent the first few days in jail and then he was released um, for that next year. Like he was, again, Mr. Perfect as far as like, you know, he saw a specialist, he went to her group, he went to um, a 12-step group, he went to like the Celebrate Recovery, like, you know, Christian, What what's the word I'm looking for here? Like, um, you know, men of integrity, like people, <laughs> like Christian-based, not necessarily 12-step-based, but again, about sexual stuff. Um, and then we went to an emotionally-focused fer- therapist um, for us, right? Like they don't, typically recommend doing marriage counseling um, when you're that close. But we had a year before he was going to be in prison. So we we're like, well, we're, if we're going to do this, we got to do it now. So it was literally five days a week that he was doing something. And he was or- like, he couldn't order the books because he couldn't get on the computer, but he, uh, he, he drove it. I told him probably within the first two weeks, listen, I cannot do this again. But my, my Christian faith system compelled me to give him a chance. Right. So I was giving him a chance, but I told him, I cannot do this again. It will destroy me. So you have to drive this thing. And he did. He did. There's very few times I had to ask him to do anything from that point. Like he ordered all, he told me what books to order and I would go order them. He would show me his work. Like we did check-ins like poster boy. If you wanted to have somebody who could represent poster boy for recovery and what it should look like, it was him, all the boxes. And this is why I've gotten so passionate about you can't just look at words. You know, people say, be believe actions, not words. I'm like, Mm-mm. you can't even believe actions. It's got to be words, actions, and character, right? And energy too. Yeah. And you're feeling like yeah. around it. Yeah. But, yeah. But again, I, <laughs> I was so naive. My ex was the first person I had ever been with. Right. So I didn't know a world outside of him. And I did not know I was I was a very sheltered teenager. Right. So, um, you know, I barely I, w- I was that person that hi- in, in, in the stands in high school, um, like when all the kids would be like laughing and giggling when, you know, somebody would make a basket and the score magically became 69 and everybody would be giggling. And I'd be like, why is everybody laughing? Because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> that was me. Like I was so naive. Right. Um, I barely knew what it was when this happened. (laughs) So it's like, I was just so, so, so super naive. So, um, you know, the, the things that I was being told before I got good help, right. Cause this was, uh, I mean this, what, 2022, um, this is actually my D day month. This is the end of January. Um, and it was 2011. So we're 11 days, 11 years. 
Um, and you know, you think five years ago, there was less, 10 years ago, there was a lot less than there is now. Um, a lot, a lot less. It was so hard to find good help. Um, I fortunately did find some good help, but anyways, point is, um, so here I was again thinking, okay, well, he's doing everything right. Right. And so I guess, you know, we're going to be, in fact, we talked about how we were going to be that couple, right? Like he's going to help all the guys in recovery. And I was going to help all the women that were partners and we were going to have this ministry and like all this amazing stuff. And now, now that we're finally have everything out in the open, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not true. Like right. most people know about what's called a dri- dribbling disclosure. And it's like, it's like the bare minimum of what I had to be told in order for me to believe him was what was told until something else happened. And then I was told more and then something else happened. And then I was told more and um, spoiler until something happened four years later. And I was told more. That was my second D day. But, um, you know, I think for me, one of the things I'm trying to point out is what, what were some of the red flags that I didn't know that they were red flags when they were happening. But when I went back and looked at them, now I'm like, oh, that was a red flag. Like mm-hmm. my my gut or my my soul was trying to tell me something. Um, and I think for me in this situation, my red flags were there were two of them actually. Well, there's one that's kind of a funny, funny, <laughs> I say funny story. Again, it it plays partially in my naivety and but also on his ability to be really convincing and play the victim really, really well. Um, is we were, I, we were going to move, I was going to move me and the two kids from California to Texas. And I was going through a bunch of stuff to try to downsize cause downsize. Cause I was not about to be trying to drive myself a, a semi <laughs> to, from, you know, from California to Texas. And we didn't have much money, right? Like here I was, my ex was not working obviously. And we had no money. In fact, I think that at that point we had to declare bankruptcy because of all the debt. Um, and so, um, so I was going through boxes and some of it was his personal effects that he had kept over the years. And I found a shit ton of like letters and stuff from from, like high school and, um, not gonna lie. I read through them. And because, of course, I would have <laughs> like everybody would have, you know, you know, right. Um, and I found one from a girl that he had dated in high school and she was talking about how she thought she was pregnant. And um, and I thought I had married a virgin. <laughs> That's what he had told me. <laughs> Not, not accurate, even without this letter, not accurate. Um, not by my definition of virgin anyways. Um, and I asked him about it and he was like, well, she didn't know what she was talking about. Like she didn't know what it really took to be pregnant or whatever. And I believed him. My. Right. Like I can't, I look back, I look back at my, 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 you know, I can't even remember. So what I'm 46, 11 years ago, my 35 year old self. You know, she for for 35, she was far too naive and trusting. Didn't ask enough questions, which is why curiosity is one of my top values now. I'm so curious and ask all the questions. Um, but um but you the, often say though, like when you love and trust your person, yeah. But when you want to do that, when that's one of your values. Absolutely. Right. Like 
No, it's not. It is a value. Why would you be with somebody if you had to question everything that they do? Yeah, it's not natural. And we shouldn't have to. And I think that's one of the bigger points, right? And you're not wrong about that. But I think um, another red flag, I guess this is, yeah, this is from D-Day before he started going into prison is, um, you know, he started doing things, again, trigger warning. um, He started doing things a little bit differently with me when we were being sexual, we were being sexual more often than we had been in years and years. <laughs> and I thought it was because there were no more secrets between us and we were finally connecting and all of these kinds of things. So it was more often and he started doing things differently. And what I now know is he was using me to act out, right? Um, however, at the time, again, it made me feel like I was finally getting some attention, like I was finally being treated the way that I had been wanting to be treated, right? I didn't, I I had no context for what was happening, right? So, so those were a couple of the red flags, right? Like, again, I didn't, um, I, I didn't have a reason to understand why they why it felt off, but it did. I noticed that it was different. Now I know that my my body and my soul was telling me it was a red flag, but I didn't I didn't cognizantly, right? I didn't in my mind know how to identify like that gut feeling is a red flag telling you, Sarah, something is not right here. Right. Um So he still continued to have this, I'm the best (laughs) attitude, but now it was, I'm the best at recovery. Like, look at all of these fuck ups who can't stay sober for 30 days, you know, when he would be going to the 12 step recovery things. And I've, I haven't acted out since before, um, before my arrest. So look at me, look at how great I am. All of these different things. Right. Um, at the same time, he wasn't, going through, like, he, he always had a reason why um, the things that he didn't want to do, he didn't do, right? Including when I asked for a polygraph test, right? Never got my polygraph, which would have been a game changer. But mm-hmm. anyways, um, okay, summing up my kind of story. Um, I, I guess yeah. I want to say, too, for people who aren't familiar with our trauma and yeah. In the partner of a sex yeah. addict is that polygraphs are actually pretty standard for someone who chooses to stay in a relationship with a sex addict. Correct. Okay. People who are listening that maybe don't know that might No, have- right. Because uh, listen, that's not the only people who are in a relationship with gaslighters, right? Right. As you and right. I know, right? Like they can be our parents, they can be our boss, they can, it's, there's so many different types of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, I think, identify it first with an intimate partner. And again, not even necessarily because of any sexual deviant behavior or addiction or anything like that. That's just a place where we're so in each other's faces all the time that you can start to see these behaviors a little bit more. But the more we learn what it is, the more we start to see it in different relationships. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, But this is, this was my journey, right? Like, again, what I'm trying to do for my listeners today is kind of my street cred, right? Like, like this is why. I know what I'm talking about. I had to figure all of this stuff out. And, you know, gaslighting is a buzzword now, but it wasn't when I started my journey. It wasn't very well known at all. So I had to do almost all of this myself. I had the book, The Gaslight Effect by Dr. Robin Stern, and that's it. 
as far as gaslighting is concerned. That's it. Yeah. Right. So, um, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, um, I just want to skip ahead and do last little bit. So the last bit that I will say was before kind of my shifting, it's kind of, you know, before divorce, it's like BD and AD. It's like before divorce and after divorce is like a timeline in my life. <laughs> and um, the last bit of that would be once my ex started serving his time um, until I divorced. And that was about three years worth of time. And during that time, um, actually it was about four years, but three years of it was when I, I still, I went and I visited him pretty much every week. That's why I moved to Texas. Um, took the kids, which was one of the things I probably regret in my life. Um, but I thought I was doing the right thing, right? At that point, trying to maintain connection and all of these different things. And but I would go, this is to show you how pervasive his um like Mr. Perfect. I can I can, you know, be a recipe for child pornography, but I'm also Mr. Perfect. Like I don't, because it wasn't just me. It wasn't ever just me. I would, I would go and I would visit him in prison and in the visiting room. I would have people come up to me, other inmates and be like, you're so-and-so's wife. Right. And I was like, yes, I am. And, and they'd be like, he is, he has like changed my life. Like he's saved me. Like he was doing 12 step recovery meetings out of his cell. <laughs> because I, yeah. So like these people will come up to me and be like, he's helped me so much and this and this and that. And like, he started playing piano for the church services on Sunday, you know, and he was playing volleyball and he's really good at volleyball and, you know, like all of these things. And so he had, like, you could tell, like, now I just want to throw up in my mouth a little bit because you could tell when he walked into the room, like an air of arrogance. That ego knows no bounds. Oh my God. <laughs> right? right. But so again, Mr. Perfect, like he wouldn't, he would email me his check-ins, like all of the things that he was supposed to do, all the boxes that he could tick, he did them. And the thing that when I was thinking about this and preparing for this, the thing that I was thinking, well, what do I want to point out about the red flags during this time? Because my interactions with him were like two and three hours a week right? That's it. And then email, right? So I didn't get to have a whole lot of interaction with him. And it was very confusing to me because I was seeing things that were different. Um, and I really believed what he did is he really stepped into a lot of mirroring. Yeah. Okay. So it was a lot of like emoting back to me, the things that I was emoting. All right. And, my, and um, we'll joke around and my kids and I, not, not necessarily about their dad, but they, they talk about the single man tier for one, like in movies or whatever. And I was like, that, he was the master of that. It's like, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show you that I'm an emotional man and, you know, have my single man tier. But honestly, for me, when I was doing the work that I started doing years later and was trying to understand how, how, not how could I have known then, but how can I know moving forward, right? Because I I never wanted to get tricked <laughs> again, yeah. right? So I wanted to know, right? That's part of why I do the work that I do with my clients around figuring out what makes me vulnerable to, to gaslighting, not what makes me to blame. That's different. 
what makes me vulnerable, right? And so, um, you know, looking at that, and it was like, you know, it felt hollow. It's the best word I can use. It didn't. I was about to say such a good word to describe it. Yeah, it just it didn't feel like everything that should be in the exchanges were there. But I had never experienced true connection with this person. So I had mm-hmm. I didn't have true connection to compare it to. Right. Well, you were telling yourself it should feel right. Exactly. Everything he's doing, it, it exactly. should feel right. Yep. So what and then you I know I internalized that. So what am I doing wrong that this doesn't feel right when everything should? Yep. That should work. Yeah. Should work. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, you know, I think the only other thing, the the kind of funny story or different kind of story, big story, whatever you want to call it, from this kind of era, if you will, that really sticks out to me is this one time when I saw him, um, at least I believed I had seen him, like, just like tracking somebody. You know what I mean? When somebody is like just watching somebody and it doesn't feel appropriate, <laughs> like walk across the room. I was pretty sure I saw him doing that. And um, with what I knew at that time, I thought it was uh, this sp- sp- specific, I can talk, <laughs> sp- sp- specific woman that was also visiting her inmate. And um, I had the kids go sit like down at the end of the the row of chairs. And I'm like, we need to talk. And I'm like, I saw what you did. And he's like, what did I do? I'm like, I saw you staring at that woman. He's like, Sarah, I'm so sorry. Listen to this. Listen to how many boxes he's about to tick, okay? Sarah, I'm so sorry that you feel the way that you feel right now. I know that it's because of the things that I've done in my past that you feel what you're feeling right now. But I promise you, I am present right now with you and the kids, and I don't even know who you're talking about. Wow. hmm Yep. Words. Words, words, words. He validated. He did all the boxes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He fucking memorized that shit. <laughs> like yep. he he knew what he was supposed to do. Now I joke around and I say, like, listen, I'm LGBTQ, right? Like I fit into that umbrella. So this is not a slam. I actually think one of the reasons why he was probably so convincing is because he maybe he wasn't even looking at a woman. He might have been looking at another dude. Um yeah. but um knowing what I know about him now and understand about him now, probably. Um, but you know, for me again, what it was is it was that confusion. And this is what I want to hit about this. And again, these are the things I didn't understand. Then I understand now because of the work that I have done for years, I now understand. I felt like something wasn't right. I didn't leave that conversation with peace. That's how, you know, when you check in with your head, your heart, your gut, your body, your soul, you feel peace when it is true. You don't feel peace when it's not true. Right? So, again, it's, it can be really hard because ticking boxes is, I mean, some, some, some of us aren't even with people who can do that. <laughs> right? But it's even harder in a different dynamic when they tick all the boxes. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can really impact us when they, when, um, they give us half truths. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
So that is kind of what set me up. Oh, side note, last trigger warning. Um, what what kind of sealed the deal for me, what started the breaking that I talk about um, that has to happen in order for us to often break these constructs and, and start to see new things um, is the day my parents sat me down and told me that my nephew confessed to, not confessed, um, admitted disclosed disclosed thank you <laughs> disclosed that my ex had sexually abused him for 4 years um and he had never told me about that so i didn't know right and this is while he was supposed to be in perfect recovery and he he kept all of that right so that's when like everything absolutely shattered and it was like i'm no longer going to um take anything for granted. I am going to question every single thing that I have ever been told, right? Because I am now a truth seeker above all else. That, that, I mean, when people want to know, like, what are my spiritual beliefs or I'll, I'm like, I'm a truth seeker. That's what I am. Whatever you want to put that into, <laughs> like, and all of the things I will not settle for less than truth. Right. So that's, that that is the thing. Um, that's what I call my second D Day. So um wrapping up, moving into the next kind of phase, um, which I'm not gonna spend as much time on, um, is when I started getting into my coaching. So I started pretty much right away. Fortunately, I had a few people in my life with a little bit of help that there was kind of lead me or guide me to um to a coach that I worked with. And, um, for some, some people will know who she is. Her name is Marsha Means and her and Barb Steffens wrote the book, Your Sexually Addicted Spouse, How Partners Can Cope and Heal. And Marsha was my coach and I was in a part of one of her groups. And towards the end of that group, she, um, she asked me if I had ever thought about becoming a coach. And that's what kind of started. I was like, well, no, I hadn't, but I had like done mentoring and all of these things in my, my life as a pastor's wife. And so seemed like a pretty normal, natural progression to go from that to a coach, fairly similar kind of relationships, right? Like mentor, coach, kind of the same-ish kind of thing. Um, so that's what started me on my journey. I went and I got my my coaching certification and um, and then I moved to Austin and I found a therapist in Austin that had actually worked with Marsha and I went to him thinking I wanted to become a therapist. And so I wanted to go to him and say, hey, what did you do to become a therapist? <laughs> and left uh, that meeting with him uh, with a job. <laughs> he offered me a job on the spot. It's not what I went there for. And he, um, as a coach, not as a therapist, obviously, because I was a coach, but he wanted me to build a program for the partners of the um, the people that came to see him that had the the problematic sexual behavior. And, um, that's why I learned I didn't want to be a therapist working in therapy practice as a coach. <laughs> I decided, um, I didn't like their sandbox. It felt too small to me. Um, coaches, we get to play a little bit more <laughs> mm -hmm. in the work that we do. Um, and so I did work with him for four years though. Um, got to be pretty well known in the Austin community. Um, some ways good, some ways not so good. Meaning sometimes the the um, the guys that were in recovery in their twelve step groups didn't like me so much because of what their wives were <laughs> were being able to empower do. them to understand the gaslighting. <laughs> they were you know, just breaking up the matrix a little bit here and there. <laughs> just call me Trinity, <laughs> yep. blowing shit up. Um, 
No, but um, he is he is the one who introduced me to gaslighting. Actually, I hadn't ever heard of it. Um, and then in 2013, um, he and another person on staff there were going to do an intensive and on the topic of gaslighting. And I'm like, they wanted my perspective, and I'm like, well, I don't know what this is. And like, well, here, read this book. <laughs> and I read it. I was like, <gasps> oh, so it was trying to put a name to. Yes. Ever since you had lived it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This was actually in the middle of when my ex was still in prison and before I had my second D-Day that I, I started learning about gaslighting. Okay. Yeah. So I was like learning it while I was still experiencing it. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So I, you know, got the book. And then from there, um, you know, I just, once I, I was like, oh my God, like this is important. Like there is something about this topic that I need to understand it. And it's interesting because at the beginning of my coaching career, I was like um, a pinball in a pinball machine, like, ding, 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 ding. you know, um, I wanted to do all the things, right? I wanted mm -hmm. to specialize in this and I wanted to specialize in that. And then I, wanted, <laughs> I even wanted to start my own nonprofit because, you know, sometimes people can't afford to move out and they're stuck in everything. I wanted to do it all and nobody can do it all. Right. But as I started to see what learning about gaslighting was doing in my own life, and I was just like barely at that point, I was just like some of my earlier clients. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this, but <laughs> it's like what I know now compared to what I knew then, like I barely was ahead of them teaching them about gaslighting. Right. But um, as I saw how understanding gaslighting was completely shifting the power for me and my clients, I was like, this is it. This mm -hmm. is the thing. And so I dedicated, like, I didn't try to become a specialist in all of the, like some of my, my coaching peers out there, like will do a lot and good on them. Like, I'm like, this is my, this is my zone. Like, I'm just going to master this. You hit so, your knowing. I did. I hit my knowing. I hit my knowing. And, and, you know, I guess my brain is just my, my math sciencey brain that connects dots the way it does just was able to dissect it and understand it and um kind of take what Robin Stern had had started with and and kind of do some different things with it or expound on it or you know um not to say I'm better I would never say I'm better than I just mean like I've taken it a little bit of a different avenue um and so I started specializing in it right and so I started doing it with retreats and I started doing it um, you know, like online courses and all of these different kinds of things. And then about a year ago, um, my personal business coach, um, she challenged me, um, to rethink my online course. Um, cause I used to have my, my deconstructing gaslighting stuff as an online course with some worksheets. And can, can you imagine just, just a video and some worksheets? <laughs> like oh, It's a, it's a complicated thing to learn, but when, when you deconstruct it, yeah, it's mind blowing. Yeah. So, um, so that's when she was like, I want you to think about what it's like from the, from the experience of your clients and what do they need, not just to have information, but to transform. And so I spent the last year y'all <laughs> working on, um, some of my signature programs and stuff and getting ready for this podcast. And, um, and I'm so excited that, Oh, I forgot to mention, sorry. Um, I did, for those of you that do fall into the category of being with a partner who struggles with pornography addiction or some sort of sexual addiction, I did go through an organization called AppSats to get a spe 
a special trauma certification certification. Man, I'm having troubles talking. <laughs> trauma certification um, to work specifically with partners um, who are with people who have problematic sexual behavior. So I did want to put that in there as well. Because as you're trying to know me and do I want to listen to Sarah or not? <laughs> do I want to potentially learn from her or not? What, you know, what's her street cred <laughs> and what is her, you know, certifications and trainings? Um, so uh, that is kind of my story in a kind of long nutshell. <laughs> so that's me. I think your street cred is uh, pretty valid. Mm. You know, I have Peter to thank in part for that. He really encouraged me a lot when I was first starting out because, you know, I think we all have our risks and vulnerabilities, right? And, um, one of mine is, um, you know, what do they call it? Imposter syndrome, right? I think pretty much everybody can identify with that one way or another. Yes. And, you know, mine is kind of like, well, I, I'm not a therapist. You know, I didn't spend eight years going to school to talk about gaslighting or whatever. Right. Like, and, you know, he would say to me over and over, like, I'd be in a staff meeting when I worked for him and there'd be 10 people in the room and I was the only one who didn't have like LCSW or LMFT or something like that. I, I, only one. And I would, and when I first started out, I was be like, who am I that I get to be in this room? And he would keep saying to me over and over again, like, Sarah, your combination of what you have is so unique and so powerful. Like, don't doubt yourself. And, and so I moved more and more into trusting myself and allowing my brain to do and my soul to do what it was, I believe, meant to do. I, I believe I, I was meant to be here on this earth to help people understand this thing. Well, and what deeper truth is there to seek? Right. Than right. what you did. Right. And you said that's who you are. You yep. aligned it all. Yep. So to wrap up the podcast today, um, just want to thank you all for listening to my story and Annie for you just conversing with me throughout my story and asking your questions and, you know, relating back and forth. Um, what to expect going forward is going to be a little bit different. Typically, someone will have shared a story and next we'll go into what I call the deconstruction zone, which is where I'm going to kind of take things apart, talk about things like during my story, I talked about brainwashing, right? I talked about uh, the victim, like these different things I'm going to point out so that we can begin to see the patterns of what happens in different stories. Now, when I say stories, people aren't going to come on and going to share their life story. Um, we're going to do something like when I talked about that situation um, with the person in the um, in the, the prison, right, the in visitation room, right, and when he responded the way he did and what happened inside of me, like what are the dynamics of that one story that made it a gaslighting experience, right? We're going to do it story by story so that we can begin to connect with stories that are similar in our own lives so that we can begin to break patterns in our own lives. So that we'll do what I call the deconstruction zone. Um, here's why I want to let you know. If you have questions, I would love for you to email me. You can submit your questions by emailing me directly at sarah at sarahmoralescoaching.com. And I'm going to have a little listener Q&A section. It's not going to be calling because I don't have that kind of tech yet. But if you want to email me, you can email me. If you want to be on the podcast and have me um, do a story for you, 
visit my website. There's a place where you can contact me and say, I want to be on your, your podcast. And then we'll finish off um, each episode by what I call set your alarm. And set your alarm for me is a little cheeky way um, to talk about being awake, right? We set our alarms to wake up, right? Every day. Well, some of us don't have to, <laughs> but for a lot of us, we have to set our alarm, you know, to tell us when the coffee's done or when this, but more often than not, we set our alarm to stay awake. And that's a phrase um, that is a belief that is a calling that I believe I'm a part of and something that happened for me that I want to gift to other people. And that is um, what I call embracing awakening. Um, being awake is what helps us be free. And um, so each episode, I'm going to share some sort of tip or some sort of tool that will help you to stay awake and stay present and be more and more connected with yourself. So thank you again. Annie for being here today. And thank you to my listeners for listening to my very first episode. Yay. Yay. <laughs> thank you for listening to my story. If you liked it, please leave a review and subscribe. And if you think others would benefit from it, please share it. And remember, it's not about becoming who you want to be. It's about awakening all that you already are. And now I leave you with the anthem of this podcast. Not today. We got stars in our eyes like diamonds. We got heart in the fuel to light it. Yeah, we burn it up. We got all the magic. Shout out if you have it. Yeah, we go with the flow like a riptide. Take a walk if you're not on my side. Yeah, we're dangerous. You're not gonna throw. me